end of the Perimeter Church podcast. In the end, Jekyll knew he couldn't escape Hyde. He was Hyde. No matter how hard he tried or how clever Jekyll was, Hyde always returned strong as ever. Jekyll's solution was suicide, but God gave us a better option. Lead teacher Randy Pope finishes the series Freedom with the last part of the message, Free to Struggle, which covers Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. Thank you for joining us today. It's kind of hard to believe that this series is already over this week. It seems just yesterday, though it's been several months, that we started this series. It's a series on freedom. Some of you are new with us, and you hear it's the last week. Uh, don't, don't think this is not important because you haven't heard the first number of messages. I think this week kind of puts it together. I think you can see the whole picture from this week as we bring a conclusion to the series. The series is on freedom. The series has been out of chapter 6 and 7 in the book of Romans. Everybody wants freedom. Everybody should seek freedom. No doubt about it. But few people truly find freedom. Often because we don't understand what freedom is, we assume that freedom must mean license. Young people often wrongly assume that. If I can just have no one around me to tell me what to do, where to go, how, if I could just do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it, that would be life at its best. That would be freedom. It's not freedom. Freedom, young people hear this, freedom is the power or ability to do what we should do. Around here, we talk a lot about what I think are the three greatest life commodities of all things Purpose, freedom, and assurance. Show me someone that walks with deep purpose, freedom, and assurance, and I'll show you a satisfied person. I don't care in the worst of circumstances of life. If they got those three, you're good to go. If you want to know about freedom from God's perspective, you go to Romans 6 and 7. It is the teaching in all of God's Word, in my opinion, the single best teaching to figure out what freedom is. The teaching of the Apostle Paul in these two chapters is to say, if you want to understand freedom, you understand three things. One, you are free from sin. Number two, you are free from the law. And number three, you are free to struggle. We've looked at the first two of those in full. And the third one, freedom to struggle, we started last week and we finished with the two last verses of Romans chapter 7. It's the climax. It's the, it's the pinnacle of the whole. And from it we can see everything else. So with that, I'm going to take everything we've done up till now and really summarizing the whole of the two, of the two chapters and I'm going to put it in 11 statements. You won't have time to write it. You may not even want to write it. But if you would like to know what these are, you can simply go on our podcast. It comes out every Tuesday. It's free of charge. We have notes that go with it, and this will be in the notes. So please, just kind of absorb the idea of what we're talking about. And I'm going to say this as I walk through these very quickly. As I do this, if you read a statement and you go, I don't get that. That's new to me. I don't understand. I must have missed that. 
I would encourage you strongly, whatever it takes, get to understand it. If you need to go to a podcast, re-listen. If you need to hear it for the first time, I don't know. But find out because these truths are critically important, okay? So here they are, very quickly. The first two summarize chapter 6. Number one, Christians are dead to sin and alive to God and to his spirit. Number two, Christians must appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit by considering these truths, meaning the truths of dead to sin, alive to God, and surrendering their body and its members to God as instruments of righteousness. And that's what we've been reviewing and reviewing. No consider present. That was the teaching of Romans 6. No consider present. Appropriating the power of God's Spirit. Christian, if you do not think you understand or know how to appropriate God's Spirit, you are missing the most important truth you've got to get. You don't want to just live in willpower. You've got to live in His power. Now, from that, we go to chapter 7. We're also free from the law. And here's what we learn, number three. Until becoming a Christian, every person is married to the law. Number four, though the law is good, it is a terrible marriage partner, bringing condemnation and death to its spouse. Number five, once divorced from an abusive relationship with the law, one can serve God in a newness of the spirit meaning now no longer in duty looking to the law, but now finding delight in the law. Next, number six, the goodness of the law is seen in that it exposes, provokes, and condemns sin, which is why I would say to you that are here as seekers, meaning you're seeking answers to the faith of Christianity, what is it real, is it for me, don't know, particularly you people that say, I want to want it, I know it's good, I just don't want it. There's nothing in me that seems to, if I just, if I could just want it more. Answer is this. You take the word of God and read it regularly. Look at the word. Read it. See what it says. Old and New Testament light. And watch what happens. Man, it'll put a spotlight on the heart. You'll see what's inside. You'll say, oh no, I got to get rid of it. And that draws you to the greatness of our God. That's when you move toward him very important Christian it's why you go to the word of God it's why you feed on it every day it puts that spotlight on sin that's still a part of us and it shows us who we are and our need for him very very important so next number seven now we move into the second half of chapter seven now we we need to understand we're free to struggle and and so we learn first that you and I have a hide within us, H-Y-D-E, Hyde, using Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And uh, we have been talking about, of course, that book is the one person, kind of two, two conscious, uh, a conscious self and a coveting self inside of one person. He separates the two, so he's one, in one person, he's the, he's the uh, conscientious one who's Dr. Jekyll, and then in the other, he's the covetous one, and, and that's Mr. Hyde, the evil, wicked Mr. Hyde. And until we understand that's our old nature, and we've got an old nature in us. We've got to know there is a hide, an old nature living within each of us. Then the next is this. Our hide is much, much worse than we would ever realize. If we were to see the hide in us, in our own self, and we think of ourselves, oh, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not all that bad. 
if somehow we could rip open our hearts and we could look in and see the hide within us, we would be doing the same thing that Robert Louis Stevenson had Dr. Jekyll do and that's end it all. Uh Uh-uh. If that's who I am, I don't even want that. Kill it, kill it, kill it. It's the alien we talked about last week, the alien that's within the kindest and sweetest and most beautiful of people in some movies you see and then all of a sudden the alien comes out and there's a whole different human. It's not human, it's alien. And we say, kill it, kill it, kill it. When somebody says, you know, I don't understand, how can a wonderful, loving God allow such wonderful, good people to perish forever and ever and ever? I probably would never say it to them at that point, but I'm thinking, you don't, you don't understand Mr. Hyde, do you? You'd be saying, why? If there's a hide in us, why aren't we all perishing? It's horrible. It, just kill it. I hate it. The next point, very important. Without the law as our potion, we will never see the hideousness of hide. Got to use the law correctly. Number 10. Only after seeing the hideousness of our hide will we crave and appreciate the glory of the gospel. Very important. And then lastly, even when we see the hideousness of our hide, we will continuously have a lifetime of struggle. And this is where we pick up in the last two verses. You've got to understand, we're going to struggle. It's okay to struggle, and we're going to see that. But if you look at your outline that you have inserted, if you like, we'll put it up here too. But last week, we started in verses 14. We ended in verse 23, leaving two verses left. In that, we covered these two major thoughts. One, every Christian lives with an enemy, that hide. Every Christian shares a common struggle. So know that. This week, this week, verses 24 and 25, every Christian has only one hope for deliverance. And that's going to be found in our text Romans 7, 24 and 25. And though it's a very short text, I know, still, just let's keep in flow with what we've been doing through this series and honor the Word of God. Let's stand. As I read this, we all follow, but let me read this to you, and then we'll open it up and talk about it. Romans 7, 24 and 25. It reads like this. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? The answer, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we stand before you now and we ask, would you teach us your word? Would you open our hearts, particularly those of us here, outside a real understanding of you and a relationship with you? Those of us particularly that want to want you, do something unusual in our heart. Cause us even now to fall in love with you. For those of us that are yours, Lord, we want freedom. And we struggle. Give us hope. Give us answers to our struggle even now, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Take your seats. All right, so the Apostle Paul is certainly arguing that it's important to be aware 
of the hideous hide that's within us. But at the same time, it's saying, folks, it's not good enough just to see it and know how bad it is. You have got to go further, and you have to know this, that you and I will never, ever, ever win our battle, never win our battle against the sin nature within us by simply trying harder. Please hear that. It will never happen by simply trying harder. I know we hear that and go as Christians, I know that, I've heard that, I believe that, I'm sure. No, we don't believe it because why do we every day find ourselves approaching the challenges of our heart and approaching it as if I will work harder and I will obey, I can and I will, and then we often, so often can't and don't. Why is it that we would go forever and ever and ever without consciously appropriating the power of God's Spirit? I'll tell you why. Once we know how and we don't do it, it's because I really think that something in me, I can do it. I've got the ability to fight sin within. I've had good training. I know the Bible. I love God. Surely I can do that. And the teaching is this. No, you cannot do it by simply trying harder. Why not? Look at verse 21 from last week. It's kind of a summary. In a way, it says, I find then, this is Paul speaking, the principle or the law that evil is present in me, me, the one who wants to do good. So I want to do good, and there's evil in me. There's this constant struggle. How, how do I find deliverance? And the answer is going to be through Jesus Christ. The answer is we have to have deliverance. It's not, oh, we have to learn how to fight better. We need to learn how to do this. No, no, we need deliverance. Now, when I use that word deliverance, many of us think about being delivered from maybe a demonic presence. You see Jesus walking through his ministry, and here's someone demon-possessed, and he cast out demons. Do we believe that's still a reality today and a need in certain... Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm not going to that, but I'm sure. But that was the few here and the few there. But Jesus is talking to masses that have this issue of the evil nature that's within everybody. And most all of what he said and what he taught and what he did was toward that, trying to understand and how to deal with the problem of sin within us and his role to take care of that sin. We can't cast the evil nature out, never intended to be. It's to be with us until we die. So, okay, how do we deal with it? The answer is still deliverance. Who's the deliverer? It's going to be Jesus. So you can simply take our text, divide it into two, two little pieces you see in your, in your outline. Very quickly, one, the dilemma, verse 24, the deliverer, verse 25. And so let's look at verse 24. One, once again, just to read it again, verse 24. Wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. You remember last week, the two non-biblical views of man man is good just needs better environment no 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 man's got problems he's he's got struggles he's hurting he's sick he's he, he's got problems he needs laws that's the answer laws there's your there's your liberal view and your conservative view that'll change people and then the biblical view that says no dead wretched wicked evil worse than we could ever imagine what do you think what do you think Paul believes of those three perspectives? 
He says, oh, wretched man that I am. That's a word that has to do with callous. He sees the callousness of his heart. And he goes, oh, my goodness, wretched man that I am. Now, who will set me free from the body of this death? Very important. Now, when we see Paul say, wretched man that I am, I alluded to this before uh, in one of the messages that we tend to say, well, you know, you're overstating your case, Paul. You're so much beyond any of us. My goodness. How can you think you're so wretched? I mean, look at us. If, if you're wretched, what do we call us? Well, the way to best, I think, understand that is to think of a radar of sin. So I'll put up a picture here of a radar. And, and so the radar has a sweep that goes around. And as it hits whatever its object is, in this case, sin, it goes blip, 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 blip. And so here's the picture of the non-believer. The non-believer thinks, you know what, I don't have that many problems in my own experience of life. And, uh, and then we become a Christian. And all of a sudden, wow, we need more on here. Blip, 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 blip. We see all these, and as the sweep goes around, we see all this sin, and oh, it exposes it. We go, oh my goodness. And so the Christian life is uh, appropriating the power of God and overcoming, and we deal with this one, and we deal with this one, and we deal with this one. And then God says, hey, you've been on a one-mile radius. I think you're ready. And it goes to a five-mile radius. Blip, 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 all the way around. And we go, oh my goodness. That's more than I've ever seen. I thought I was making pro. Oh, and so, okay, we're working. God's working through us, and we're getting, seeing things happen in our life. And then God says, you know what? I think you're ready for a 10-mile radius. And here's the Apostle Paul, 100-mile radius. It's everywhere. And he sees, wretched man that I am, that's how he can say at the end of his life, chief of all sinners. Not because he was more sinful than we are, obviously not, but because he saw a realm in depth of maturity to see the sin of his life like none of us probably have even seen. So it's a constant, that's why the struggle never ends. This struggle is a struggle forever. On this earth, it is a struggle. So here's the dilemma. He talks about, you know, who's going to deliver me? And he says from to give freedom from the body of this death. Now, he's talking about freedom in the daily fight, not from the daily fight. I've got this nature that's waging war with my mind. I've got this battle going on. You know, it's like, how do I deal with this? Well, the answer is this. It's going to be a daily fight. It's a struggle. Paul was struggling as much as you and I struggle. And when we start assuming I shouldn't struggle as much the more I grow spiritually, then we get disillusioned and we get discouraged and say something's wrong and then we're, we're off track again. No, 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 no. It's, it's good. It's okay to struggle. It is a part of the life that we live. But what's our answer in the midst of this struggle? The answer is deliverer. And there's the verse 25. Now, verse 24 was a cry of distress. It was not a cry of despair. It was of distress. And now he's going to give a cry of triumph. And here's how it reads in verse 25. Thanks be to God. How? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's saying, here's the answer. The answer for my struggle is Jesus. Now, when he says that, it's not that it's just, there's the person. When he talks about Jesus, he's talking about the fullness of the gospel that is because of the life and work of Jesus. It's his life, death, resurrection. It's his ascension. It's his reign. 
because of all that he's done, this is the great news. We can find freedom even now. Now, what he has done already, the work of Jesus, what he's done already has taken care of this portion, our penalty for sin dealt with. If a real Christian, we will never, ever, hear this, we will never pay a penalty for our sin. It's already been dealt with. Any sin I future commit. It wants a Christian, it's, it's done. Now, if I keep living a life in heinous sin, just keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on, that maybe it might be an evidence that I never really became a Christian and I thought I did, maybe I didn't. But let me tell you, we all sin and we keep sinning. It's dealt with if a Christian. We've got the whole problem of the presence of sin to be dealt with in the future. He's already promised that when we die, this old nature will not go with us. It's gone forever. So, okay, the penalty and the presence. Past, now future. But right now, we've got the power of sin. Now, the power of sin has been broken, but the the presence is still with us right now. One day to be gone, but not yet. So now the question is, how do we do that? He says, well, there's two laws of conflict, a renewed mind and an unrenewed nature, or what he calls here flesh, the sin nature. And they're constantly battling. Because the mind can be renewed, it has been renewed at salvation, but our nature cannot be. All we can do now is make sure that the nature is subdued. If you can think of it that way, not renewed like the mind, but subdued, pushed away, held at bay, no longer having its reign over it. No, 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 no. I I subdue it to the point that now as it's subdued, the law becomes beautiful to me and I can see it and love it and keep it through his power. If If this old nature is not subdued and it comes on strong, this goes away. So I've got to learn, how do you do this? What, how, does this how does this work in the Christian life? Well, the answer is, it's found in Jesus, in his work, what he's done for us. So, appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit. No consider, present. You go back to the, back to the beginning. Okay, I've got to appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit. And oh yeah, the law. Oh, I just remember, it's, it's not... It's not a bad partner anymore. It's good. I, I can now see duty turn to delight. And this is the Christian life as you begin to understand these things. Now, Paul comes to chapter 8. What we have is chapter 8. He didn't divide it into chapters and verses. A man has done that later. But in chapter 8, verses 1 through 4 is kind of a summary. He's going to say, hey, good news. Here it is. Let's, let's complete this because he's going to move into something totally different after this. He's going to say, here's the great news. There's no condemnation. You're not going to ever have to perish forever. That's dealt with. Your old hide, gone forever. You will get to live forever. Oh, by the way, you can live now without bondage. You're no longer in bondage. You can live as if you're not in bondage. There's good news. And how you do that? He's going to say, you do it by walking in the Spirit, the power of the Spirit. So now look at verses 1 through 4 in light of that. And this is how it reads. It says, therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of the life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did do. How? Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Don't know if you can catch this, but here at the beginning of of Romans 7, he begins with, we're dead to the law. That's how he introduces, Christian, you're dead to the law. And now in verse 4 of chapter 8, he ends with, we're obligated to keep the law and capable of doing it. Almost a different message, but it's not. He's saying you're dead, you've been freed from the condemnation of law. And now by new spirit coming within you, you have the opportunity to love and to live by the law through the power of the spirit. And that's the Christian life. You want to know freedom? All I'll know to say about it in terms of what freedom is, there it is. The more you can go back, rehearse, review, know, understand, apply the teaching of Romans 7 and 8, the better off we're going to be. Now, we're going to prepare for the table. I'm going to ask that as we do this, that maybe I can give you some advice to prepare you for the table and how to use the table when it comes. What do you think when you take the table? What do you do? Do you say, okay, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. I usually give you some direction on how to think and all. Often I think it's important, and particularly as the table is taken, as we complete each series, we usually come to the table at the end, and that's to now consecrate what we've been believing and learning and thinking, and now say, God, I invite you as the only source of power to enable me to be able to live this out. And so we're going to come to the table, and I'm going to leave you with four words of advice based on our text from everything we've been looking at, I'm going to encourage you to think one, two, three, or four of these while you're holding and taking the elements. If you're not a note taker and you've got a really good memory, you might remember all four of them. If you're not a note taker and you don't have a good memory, try to hang on to one of them. Really, just one of them. If just one. If you're a note taker, then you might want to have all four in front of you just to say, you know, I want to keep focused on this. Doesn't matter. But let me just kind of pull it together with these words of advice. This is to make it as practical as I know how to make it. Number one. Number one would be admit your helplessness. If you were in the series where I talked about the push-ups, Just pretend you're at the end of your last push-up. You've just done one more for a million dollars. Now you've been asked to do one more for five million and you do your best and you hit the ground and you look up and you say, I can't. Just remember that. Know that you're helplessness. Admit it and tell God as you take the table, God, I'm helpless. I I can't do it on my own. I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm battling and battling and battling because... What's going on at work has got me so, I, I just can't find joy. I can't find, I can't find, God, I can't. Maybe you're a woman and you're barren and you, you want a child. You can taste it so bad. And you say, God, I want it. You can't, I can't find a life. I can't even get it. Maybe you're single wanting marriage so badly. Maybe you're married and say, this is, a, this is not the marriage I want. It's not the marriage I, I thought I would get. Now I'm, 
I feel stuck forever. And you go, God, I can't live in this. I'm just, no, you can't. There is the first beginning stop. It's just say, I can't. See, folks, we've got to find a place in our life for struggle. That it's okay. Yeah, I do have a struggle. I don't like my circumstances. They're painful. Okay, I've got to have help to walk through those situations. Whether it's anger, whether it's some kind of addiction, I don't know what it is, but say, Lord, I just can't. Some of you may have heard me use this story many years ago, but before I was here, I was a part of a ministry, and I had a secretary. And I, I think that's fair to say that I hated her. <laughs> and I knew I was supposed to love her, but I didn't. And I was in ministry. And uh, every day I'd make her cry. That was the, kind of the test that I had failed. Um, she'd cry and I'd get mad because she was crying, but I knew I made her cry. And it was like, why does she have to cry? And anyway, that was it, you know. And I happened to have a window out to the parking area, and I'd get there before she did, and I'd see her drive up, and she'd park. I'd go, oh, here she comes. And I'd say, God, I know I'm supposed to love her. Today, I'm going to do that. I'm committed to it. I will. And shortly into the day, she's crying, and I'm mad at her, and she's upset, you know, whatever. Anybody want to work for me? So anyway, I did this like three or four days in a row. And I, I, every day I gave it my F, I couldn't. And it ended up disaster. I remember the day I'm sitting there. I do remember this. I mean, it's not like I remember telling the story. I remember this. I remember sitting there, looking out the window, seeing her park, and her start walking in. And I remember saying, all right, God, I'm not going to even, nope, it's not going to happen today. Not by me. Oh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll certainly do my, my best, but it ain't going to happen. I know that. If you would like to do something to make it happen, I invite you. But I'm not, it ain't going to happen with me. I remember the end of that day sitting at my desk saying, what happened today? Isn't that amazing? There were no tears. It seemed like, I just thought, what happened? I remember thinking then, I think your power, Lord, energized and made possible what I was trying to do. I know that's confusing sometimes. Well, you know, I just don't do anything and God doesn't. No, no, no. I mean, it wasn't like I'm saying, I'm not going to try to love her. I'm not going to seek to. No, I'm just saying, I know I can't. And I'll follow to the degree, but you've got to make it happen. I can't do it. Lord, I can't have joy in the midst of this pain and issue. I can't have joy. But Lord, there's the beginning. At least say, I can't. So I've got to be joyful. I can't. No, I can't. But God, you can. And it is my intent because it honors you. For me to be joyful. Admit helplessness. Number two, rely on Jesus and his indwelling spirit. That's where it's KCP, KCP, KCP. I sit here right before I get up. I say, Lord, I know I can't get up there without having, uh, you know, wrong ideas and thoughts and motives for why I'm up and what I'm saying. And Lord, you know, I've got to consider what I know. Thank you that I'm dead to sin and thank you that I've been made alive to you. And God, right now, I give you my mouth and I'm giving you my mind. I'm giving you my heart. I just, as I get up, Lord, I got to give it to you now. I did that this morning when I got up. I did it early in the first service, but that doesn't mean I don't need to keep surrendering, surrendering, and remembering and remembering. So keep that in mind. You've got to rely on Jesus and his spirit, or maybe a way to remember it. Imagine that you are living here in the country, and ISIS is now within the borders of our United States, and they're taking various segments. And a 
terrorist breaks into your home, and this happens, you find out, is a fifth-degree black belt in some elite martial art, has automated weaponry, ammunition, takes you by force, takes you into the back room, and binds you hand and foot on a chair, and you cannot move. You are totally bound. With that, you are helpless, and you know you are. But at that very minute, the window behind you slips open as the terrace is in the front of the house in your room, in your house, in a different room, and the window slips open, and here are four or five members of a SEAL team coming to rescue you. They come in, and they they cut the cords that bind you, your hands and your feet, and you're free, and you jump up. Can you imagine at that point saying, appreciate it, boys. I got it from here, okay? All I needed, if I just need to get free, I got him. You just, see you later. No, you'd say, he's in there. Go get him. Do you want to go take that guy? Yeah, you do, but you know you don't have the ability to do it. Now, maybe once they get him down and his hands are tied and he's, you might come over and just kick him a few times and hit him. And, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the illustration I used the other day. We're bound. We're bound until we come to faith. And then we come to faith and we say, got it, Jesus. I can do this. The old nature, he's not too much for me because I'm free. That's the dumbest thing we could ever do. Let me tell you, if Jesus has freed you, let him fight for you. Number three, make room in your life for struggle, but listen to this, and for others who struggle. Keep in mind, when you're looking at the non-believer and so mad and upset the way they're acting, maybe a help, and I'm preaching to me right now, is remember they're bound. And we're upset because they're not up fighting. Or remember, even if it's a Christian, you know, the high likelihood the Christian community has never heard what you and I are having the privilege to learn and know. They don't get this idea that, of the gospel and what God's done for us. And though they might be unbound, they're fighting as hard as they can. They're getting whipped and they're making us mad because they're letting their sin whip them. And we go, hmm. But the grace of God, I would be bound now. Were it not for the grace of God, I wouldn't be hearing stuff like this. At least I now know and understand. Lastly, give thanks. The text read, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is our point when we're at the table to remember. Jesus had no hide, though he had to die. Why? Because he took the sin of our hide and he paid for it. And so at least at the table, let's say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. This is where we turn to him and say, I need your grace. So maybe to make it really, all this really, really simple, what if we did this? What if we just said, God, I can't. This reminds me I can't. God, you can. This reminds me you can. God, you will. This reminds me you will. And Lord, I want you to do it. And Lord, in the effort, let me treat people in the knowledge of this. 
I think when we understand that and we come before the table, I think everything will take care of itself. As we're now going to pray and prepare our hearts for the table. Let's pray. Now, Father in heaven, we are now going to invite you to meet us at your table in a special way. We want to remember what took place at Calvary. We want to we want to relive what happened and let it touch us, even in, certainly our minds, and we invite you to touch our emotions. But, Lord, before we get out of here, let our wills be moved to surrender. And we want to say as we hold these elements, as we take these elements, we want to be reminded, even as we see and taste, smell, we want to be reminded the truth that your death, what it represents to us. It's you taking care of what we can't do. You replacing that sin nature with your spirit living within us to empower us. And so, God, we're going to ask you to come blow your spirit across our lives right now. May we encounter grace. May this truth transform us. May we know that we've been strengthened even as we would by food and drink. But we'll be spiritually strengthened by the truth that these elements represent. We thank you for both your perfect life and your shed blood, the death on our behalf. And this is going to be our time, if nothing else, to say thank you, thank you, thank you. We give you thanks now. In the name of Christ our Savior, amen. As we take the elements here, we're doing this in a format that may be new to some of our newer people or guests that uh, it's a stacked cup format and the lower cup has the bread and so you can take that as it's handed to you whenever you choose feel free to I like to take it early just to get taste as a part using the senses to remember the promises of God but this represents the body of Christ and the drink that we'll take all together at the conclusion when I draw us back at the end We'll take it together, and this represents, obviously, the blood of Christ that was shed for us. It's based on these that all the truths that we've talked about can be believed. Now, as we, as we do this, the question then just remains, who's invited to the table? This is not simply what I say. I'm, I'm just telling you what I see in Scripture. I think it's valid. It's certainly been believed through the history of the church. And that is that only God's people should take the table. It's not something that just anybody would take, but God's people. Then it raises the question, well, who's God's people? How do you know? Is it our call to make? No, it's not. We hold no keys to the kingdom individually. That's given to his church that he established on earth. And he said, the way you know you can have the benefits of the church are when you come under the authority of the church. This is to be given only to the church, and it's received only by those who are in the, under the authority of the church. And so if you're in a church, not this church, but a different, you're under its authority, you're really in covenant relationship with it, uh, then you're invited to the table. I would encourage any that are living around here and making this their church, and you go, I'm not a member of the church, but I don't think it matters. Let me tell you, you have no idea how much it matters. That's why I encourage you, come under the authority of the church. But whatever the case may be, discern should you be coming or not. And as you come, know this, this is Christ for you. That's big.
Let me say that if you're not coming to the table, then use this time to say, God, would you get me ready, whatever it takes to be able to come to the table. I'm ready. I want to come to this table. Maybe you're not a believer yet. This is a time for you to say, God, I want to get this. I really do. Lord, help me. Use this time to talk to him about that. So this can be valuable in so many, many different ways. But please do this. If you're struggling with sin, that does not disqualify you from coming to the table. If you've surrendered to the struggle, don't come. Not unless you have now, before you come as a member of this church, say, or a member of the church, you say, I'm reengaging in the struggle. I'm fighting in new power. Now I'll come to the table. But if you say, ah, I surrender. I, I, I'm, it's, I'm over. Forget it. Don't come to the table, even if a member of the church, okay? And I think that's a blessing. 1 Corinthians 11, if you want to be reading it, it makes it so very clear. So now the Lord said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and enjoy. The Lord said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take it and then let's pray again. Lord, one final thank you for doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves and granting us not only a direction but an empowerment to move in that direction. May this week be different than last, more so just because we've been with you today and understood what we've understood and apply what we, what we uh, best know. We just ask little bit by little bit, take us more into your likeness and we thank you for the privilege to be followers. We thank you all in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Before we sing, I see I got just a minute I could share this. I was taking a longer than normal shower late afternoon after I'd done a little exercise and Carol uh, uh, commented the fact that she noted I'd taken a little extra time and I'd shared with her that uh, I had the most intriguing time. I just kind of got captured in thinking and my, I intentionally started thinking while I was in the shower, I want to just picture what life is going to be like in 50 years from right now. And I thought about the church, I thought about my family and I thought you know what there's a real possibility that all of my children will be deceased by that time and I started thinking what would it be in a hundred years and I projected out a hundred years and of course probably all of our grandchildren even would be deceased at that time I thought a year is not that long 50 20 100 whatever and boy it just I said I had this unusual experience to start seeing this life as we make such a big deal as being very very small and then when you think about the truths we're talking about, why wouldn't we give it all? Go after it with everything we have. I hope this week will be that kind of week for you. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.